0: Awesome. love seeing all those kiddos going over to the, the kids' worship. Man, it's fantastic over there. Thank you for all the workers that serve and give their time to, to be over there. Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Clayton, the pastor here at Central, and today's going to be a doozy. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm excited about the message that God has uh, in store for us um, this, this morning. Hey man, uh, if you're online today, uh, I just want to thank you for being here as well. Uh, if you guys like to follow along with today's message, um, there should be a QR code that's going to pop up on the screen behind me and you guys can, uh, can follow along and, and uh, be able to check that out. Maybe we can go back to the, the previous slide to... So everybody can, can do that. Nope, it's gone. It disappeared. I don't know. Maybe I did that earlier. I'm sorry. My bad. Uh, but hey, uh, we have an app you can, you can follow. Go on a website. Um, you, can, you can be able to check out the, the message for today and follow along um, with us because uh, it's going to be a good one, man. We're in the middle of the series called The Ostrich Syndrome where we're having cultural conversations we can't avoid because you know what an ostrich does or the myth that an ostrich has or we have for an ostrich is that when it's, it's confronted with something they doesn't like that it'll maybe stick its head in, in the sand and try to try to uh, avoid the situation, what's going on, avoid the, 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 the reality that's going on around them. And sometimes we do the same thing. There's some things in our culture that it's very easy for us as Christians, as believers in Christ, as the church to say, you know what, I don't really know, wanna know what's going on, I'm just gonna bury my head in the sand. And I'm just telling you today that we cannot do that anymore. In fact, we aren't going to do that anymore. Last week, we had a message, this kind of part two of that message, and we talked about reaching the next generation for Christ. So the next generation is Generation Z, and they are totally different than any other generation, but they are the ones who are, who are driving our current culture. And so the question we have for ourselves is, how do we reach them? because it's gotta look different than how we've reached previous generations. Gen Z, here's some things about them. Since they have been on this earth, Google has always existed, okay? Since they've been alive. Gen Z, most of them have never licked a postage stamp, okay? They just don't do that, right? And if you go up to a general and you and you say, well, you know, around the turn of the century and you describe something, they may ask you, well, which century you talking about, right? Uh, because we all have, most of us in here, uh, previous generations, we've lived in the, the 1900s, right? And, and we understand life and culture from a different perspective than they do. And the question is how to reach them. A be, maybe a better question is how to reach our culture with the gospel. Well, what is culture? Well, cult, culture would say this to us. It would say that I am the art in your art houses. I am the ideas in your institutions. I am the laws in your land. I am the message in your movies, the thoughts of your teachers, the value your kids value. I affect you. And maybe culture would ask us back and say, do you affect me? My son Corbin is uh, 16, he still has his learner's permit, he's about to have his license, and whew, y'all can pray for us, okay? Uh, but, but I'm telling you, he's a great driver. He's probably the most responsible person in our entire house. And so uh, he, he's, he's a good kid, and he's learned how to drive. And you know how it is when you're a parent, you, you're sitting in the passenger seat, and what are you doing? Besides freaking out, okay? You are, you're pushing your foot down into the, the floorboard, trying to slow, slow the car down, you know? we are like, stop, 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 stop! You know, you're yelling, you're getting an argument, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of what happens for everybody that's just trying to teach a kid how to drive. Well, Corbin's been learn how to drive, and over Christmas, we went to Texas to visit my parents, and we let my son drive the car on the interstate. Okay. So my, my son, he was driving and I wasn't even in the passenger seat. My wife Holly was in the passenger seat. I was in the back seat with our 13 year old daughter, Hannah. And so I'm in the back seat and I'm a control freak guys. Like I want to be, him, I mean, y'all are control freaks. You're the one that always drives. You're like, I got it. I'll take that burden on, you know, I'll make sure I drive. And you're always, that's who I want to be. And in fact, my wife is the same way. We always want to drive. So we argue who's gonna drive. And our son is driving and I'm in the back seat. <sighs> having some anxiety issues and I, I kind of looked over at the dashboard and the little digital readout had a nine zero on it and I'm like whoa okay and so my, my son he's driving 90 down the highway just you know hanging out and when, when he was in driver's ed they were teaching him you know the answer is not to drive the speed limit the answer is to drive How fast the other cars are driving, because it's dangerous if you don't, okay? And so everybody else was going 90, and so he was like, let's go, and I'm going, ah, kind of flipping out. But as Christians, we're used to being in the driver's seat of our culture, aren't we? We're used to being in control. And the reality is, is that. We aren't driving our culture anymore. Our culture is not in the back, in the trunk. Our culture is not in the back seat. Our culture is not even riding shotgun. Our culture is in the driver's seat. We aren't in the driver's seat anymore. And we're just kind of hanging on for dear life. It's driving our institutions. It's, it's driving our, our laws. It's driving our language and our way of life. Our culture is 16 going 90 down the highway, you know? And it's changed. Life has changed. Technology has changed. In fact, technology has changed so rapidly and has caused so many rapid changes that it's hard to even keep up. You know what I'm saying? Like, as soon as you get one of these, there's a new one out. And as soon as you update this one, there's like a new update. And you're like, I don't know how to do this anymore. Man, it's, it's funny. My, my parents have iPhones. And it's just it's kind of comical to see them try to, try to work them sometimes. Culture is rapidly changing. Technology is rapidly changing. In fact, David Pakman, who's, he's a leading uh, tech venture investor. He wrote this about Gen Z. He said this. Growing up with a supercomputer in your pocket, connected to most of the world's population and knowledge, has created an irreversible pattern of behavior, unlikely to revert back to the ways of previous generations. What I'm trying to say here is that this is not your grandparents' world anymore. Just not, we're different. So what are we supposed to do? Well, Romans 10 gives us the plan to reach them. Romans 10, 13 says this, you guys know this, for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord Will be saved. It doesn't say that that was for previous generations or a previous era or a different culture. It says every culture, every generation, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the very next verse says this. This is pretty eye open. Here's what it says. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? That kind of makes sense. Like how can someone call on, on a savior when they don't even, they don't even know him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? which totally makes sense as well. And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? It's this progression of what we are called to do. This is our, our how-to for reaching our culture. Down in verse 17, there's a final verse that says this. says, so faith, here's how it, here's how it happens. It comes from hearing. It comes from someone sharing. It comes from believing what has been shared. It says this, faith comes from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Christ. What are we supposed to do to reach the next generation? We're supposed to, simply this, guys, there's, there's nothing special about this. We're supposed to just tell them about Jesus. We're supposed to just share the gospel. But the reality is, is they have no gospel memory. This generation, majority of them, they don't know what the gospel is. They don't, they don't believe um, in the Bible. It has, has no kind of tra- kind of uh, guiding principles for their life, they are completely lost. And so from their perspective, they see us a little bit different than maybe we see ourselves. In fact, here's how Gen, Gen Z sees the church. Nine out of 10 say that the church is too judgmental. 90% of them say, you know what, Mm-mm. Church, just too many judges in there, right? They're just they're judging everybody else, think they're better than everybody else. You know what, Gen Z, they give the church a 4.9 out of 10 on a level of trust, which is kind of crazy. What they're saying is the majority are saying, man, I just don't trust the church anymore. I don't trust its leaders. I don't trust what it's doing. I don't trust its people. I don't trust the institution of the church. I just don't trust the church. And believe it or not, this is who we've been or the perception that people have about us. And honestly, it's kind of created a barrier. man. I like to drive, like I was, I was saying, I love to be in control, but there are some things that, that I don't like about the Tulsa area. And one is when you go downtown or like around downtown, there's all the construction going on everywhere or on, on these highways. And what do they put up? They put up those, they don't put up like cones. They put up like those concrete barriers. You know, it's like, supposed to be pinball, like going down the highway, right? And it always scares me to death because they don't give you like any margin for error. They put it like right on the line and you're driving like. 90, right? And you're going, and you're just like super close. You're like six inches from, from that from that barrier, and I'm always like stuck next to an 18-wheeler, and going ah, I just got to just you're just like ah. And there's these barriers you have to go through, and the worst part about it is when they do the one of those whoop whoop, you know, like the the little like like changing, and you it just man just it's bad, okay? So I hate driving in that kind of traffic, but there's there's these barriers we have to get around, and as as Christians, there's some barriers from our past that we have to get around. Here's one of them, we're compromised. As Christians, as a faith, we are compromised, not because of the word of God, not because of Jesus, but because of us, because we're hypocrites. We say one thing, we do another thing. We're seen as hyper-political. We're seen as out of touch with reality. We're seen as pushy in our beliefs and arrogant. And that's how the world sees us. In fact, they did a poll and they asked Gen Z, they asked them, what would be some things that would best describe? They gave, us a whole bunch of, they gave them a whole bunch of list of things. They said, what would be the things that best describe Christianity? And here's what the answer was. 91% see Christianity as anti homosexual is judgmental. 85% hypocritical. 78% said that Christianity is old-fashioned. 75% is too involved in politics. 72% said it's out of touch with reality. 70% say that Christianity is insensitive to others. (laughs) This one's tough. 68% is just flat boring. Just boring. And 61% says it's confusing. And so what we've done is we've tried to fight back against our culture. That's one of the things that has happened. We've said, you know what, let's try to win our culture back. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to fight for the things we believe. And so we're going to fight up against culture. In fact, that's what preachers preach a lot. It's like you got to win back your culture. you know, you got you to fight against it and your beliefs and all those kind of things. And what's happened is we've created this like anti-culture bent in our way of doing things and in our messages that we have. But we aren't called to be anti-cultural. You know what we're called to be? Counter-cultural. We're not not called to be anti-cultural. We're called to be counter-cultural. Let me me explain what that means. It means in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, here's what what, what Paul says. He's talking about how to to be a believer in Christ that, that shares their faith. Here's what he says. He says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. So if you're a slave to everyone, you know what Paul's saying? He's saying that my life is not my own anymore. When I get up in the morning, the decisions I make, the things that I get involved in, I do those on purpose, not for myself, but for other people. And he goes on and describes it, He talking about different cultures and how when he's with one set of people, he's, he acts a certain way and does certain things. And when he's with another set, he does some other things. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. He's talking about the same group of people, like Jewish people. He said, so I'm with Jews. I dress like a Jew. I act like a Jew. I go do Jewish things. The reason I'm doing that is so that I can gain an audience to share the gospel with them, And he goes on and says to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. A lot of confusing words. What he's saying is to the the un-Jewish people, right, to the Gentiles, to the Romans, to, to the Greeks, to the pagans. When he, when he was going on his missionary journeys all over the place and he was around those people, he said, you know what, I'm going to be like them. In order that I can gain an audience to share the gospel with them. But he says, you know what? It doesn't mean that I just go and and sin and do like crazy stuff. He says, I'm still under the law of Christ. I still have my beliefs and my morals. And I'm going to be Christ-like in my my life around them. But I'm going to do the things that I can to be able to win them to Christ. He goes on and says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. He's talking about, about when. You're around Christians that maybe don't have a strong faith, and so they may not understand why you're doing some of the things you're, you're doing. So you, you abstain from certain things that you have freedom to do as believers in Christ so that they won't stumble in their faith. And he goes on and says, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. What Paul is saying is saying, I'm not anti-culture and Paul wasn't. He would go to different cultures. Um, and wherever he went, he didn't say, I hate you. He said, I love you. And so he wasn't anti-cultural. He was counter-cultural. And what that means is that you are Christ-like, that you love people, and that you're, you're so much like Jesus that people are like, man, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. There's something different about that, that family that lives next door to me because they are so Christ-like. I don't understand. It's so different than the culture that we live in. And here's what happens when, that ha- when, when people do that. Christianity explodes. It grows rapidly. And that's what happened in the early church because people could see a difference in other people. Think of it this way. Like if, if you went, went down this afternoon, you went to the airport, and you, you took your, one of your best buddies, and they're going to be a... A missionary, like an international missionary to a third world country, a full-time missionary. They're going to go over there and spend the rest of their life over there um, sharing the gospel, winning people to Christ. And you, you hugged them and prayed with them and you both cried and then they get, up on, get on the plane. What would you expect them to do when they get off the plane in a different culture? Okay, audience particip- participation time. What would you expect them to do? Learn the language. Okay learn the language you would expect them to learn the language you wouldn't go they wouldn't go to another foreign country and say all right everybody needs to learn English so I can talk to you right you wouldn't do that you would learn the language what else would you do what you expect them to do dress respectfully. okay so learn how to dress appropriately to dress to match that culture okay that's important because you don't want to offend people you don't want to seem out of touch what else okay you want to be immersed in the culture so you want to learn some of their 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 cultural rituals the things that they love to do what when are their holidays what are their customs you want to learn those things so you're not gonna be like running around saying all right it's fourth of july time <laughs> they don't want to know that it means nothing to them what else anything else build relationship. okay you would build relationship with them you learn how to, to speak to them. You learn what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. Am I supposed to shake with my right hand or my left? Like, am I, what am I supposed to do, you know? Because in different cultures, it's different. Like, I don't wanna offend people, so I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna be a student of that culture. You know what else you're gonna do? You're gonna learn to how to translate, a missionary would learn how to translate the gospel into their language. You know what I mean? You wouldn't walk around with the English Bible and just read it in English and say, you understand? doesn't work that way. you got to learn how to, to read their language, to know their language, to be able to share the gospel in their language. You know, you know another thing you're going to do? You're probably going to, the person's probably going to learn how to worship in that culture, in that cultural context. And so if they sing a little bit differently, if, they, if their worship, their music style is a little bit different, or if, if they use different kinds of instruments, you're going to, to embrace that because that reaches their culture. You are going to do everything you can to build Cultural bridges, right? So that you can have a chance to share the gospel with them. That's what a missionary does. And a missionary goes and says, you know, Jesus isn't uh, against your culture. Jesus is the answer to your culture. And as Christians here in the United States, for the very first time in American history, we are, as the older generations, we are actually living in a moment where we are missionaries. International missionaries. Foreign missionaries wherever we live. That's a pretty cool gig because you get to go home to your own bed. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a good thing. Okay, so, so you, get to, you get to live where God has planted you, but you aren't reaching just your, your generation and your culture. You're reaching the new American culture. And it's kind of foreign sometimes. And we need to be people that say to, the foreign, to that, other, that other culture, that other generation, that we are not, Jesus is not against you. Jesus is the answer. He's not against your generation. He is the answer to your generation. And we need to be like them. We need to be cultural missionaries. And when it comes to the gospel, we need to understand something else, that we're in the translation game, not the transformation game. That's a good principle to know when it comes to sharing your faith. you would be like, all right, wait, hold on. I thought Jesus was all about transformation. Yes, he is. Like, he he transforms us. When I mean the transformation game, I mean that when we have this, we play this dangerous game of kind of like watering down the message or adapting it and changing it just so we can reach people. You know what I'm talking about? When we transform the gospel and it's no longer the gospel anymore, you shouldn't do that, okay? You should never compromise the gospel. You should never do that. In fact, Jesus... Or the Bible says this about Jesus in Hebrews 13.8. It says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So it doesn't matter where you are, what culture you're in, Jesus never changes. It means the gospel never changes. And so we should never change the gospel. We should hold fast to that. But we have to translate it. We have to translate it. In fact, that's what the early church did. That's what every era of the historical church has done that. And we need to mimic them. Like, if you, if you don't believe me, uh, there's, there's a great example. The, the historical church has always been really innovative in how it, it shared the gospel. And one of those is this behind me on the screen. This right here is a picture of the Lindisfarne Gospels. And so in, there's a little island um, off of the coast of England and on this island, there was this church, and this church um, wanted to reach, its, reach its, its community. And so they wrote the Gospels. They, they took Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they created this book called the Linden's Foreign Gospels. And so people came from, from all over the world to come and, and look at this, this, this book. It was, it was written around 714 A.D., so 1,400 years ago. Like, that's a really, really long time ago. I, I don't understand any of the stuff on there. Really or, ornate and crazy. The lettering is really ornate. There was uh, these cool symbols and all this stuff, and there's, like, these crazy creatures. It, it's, it's, it's really cool. You can go online, and you can take a look at it. But they did that for a specific purpose. And I was thinking about this. Why didn't they just copy the Gospels in Latin, which was like the, the, the way the church had, the, had the, the Bible at that time, or maybe even like Old English? Why didn't they do that? People couldn't read. The whole, the whole culture couldn't read. No one can read. Only like the clergy, only the, the really educated could, could read during that time. And it was usually a foreign language that they could read. So no one could read. So how did, how did you share the gospel? How could people read the gospels? They couldn't. And so what they did, it's pretty cool, it almost had no words in it. It was all just symbols. It, it was like a comic book, man. It was like a comic book that, that long ago. And, and honestly, it was revolutionary. And people came to faith Like crazy, because the gospel was told in their language. The language that they could understand. And it spoke to people. And we need to be the same way. So what we need to do is we need to get creative. Today, I told you last week, we're going to get into some really practical ways that we can actually change some of the things that we're doing. How we can reach the next generation. We need to get creative and we need to be able to translate the gospel into their language. So here's some things we need to do. we got to rethink evangelism. The way the church does evangelism, I just want to be transparent today. I just don't know if it's very effective. I really don't. We need to rethink some of the ways that we share our faith and we call people to believe in Jesus. How many guys were around in the 1960s? Raise your hand. How many of y'all in here? Okay. How many guys uh, know someone that was around in the 1960s? Like a family member or something? Okay. Pretty much everybody in this room has raised their hands. That We've all been affected by, lived back in or been affected by, by uh, the 1960s. Well, in the 1960s, there was a certain, certain way um, that, that the gospel was presented in, because people were different back then. In fact, back in the 1960s, here's what the, the non-church culture had in the 1960s in America. Most people had a church background, okay? Most people had, or they knew of Christian truths. They knew about the, the Ten Commandments. They had a built-in sense of guilt or conviction about wrong and right. They actually had a positive image of the church. They had a belief that truth actually exists. They thought the Bible was trustworthy. And they accepted Jesus as as a deity or as an important person in history. That's how the 1960s was. So a non-Christian, non-believer, that's kind of how they they saw the the church. And so they they were... they had this readiness to receive the gospel, and up here on this screen, you've got this this chart that I put up here that's between one and 10. And one meaning that, this is like how someone comes to faith in Christ, okay? So when you're at a one, you have no knowledge or relationship with Jesus. I mean, you're just as lost as can be, okay? And sometimes coming to faith in Christ, there's this progression along this scale until you're so close and then you go over and you become a believer in Christ. You have this saving faith in Christ, that's a number 10. And back in 1960, most people were at an eight. They lived and breathed Christian stuff, you know? It was just, in, it was just ingrained in the culture. They understood and they, they knew and they had people in their family that, that maybe were believers or had gone to church or they had gone uh, one time, you know, before. Like, they were in the an eight. And so it was really easy to stand up on the stage and say, everybody <laughs> repent and, and you need to believe in Jesus because the Old Testament talks about it and, you know, and Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament and all this kind of stuff. Everybody's like, you know what? You're right, you know, I need to do that. And so people would come to faith in Christ because they were so ready they already had this, this foundation of truth. But today, people aren't like that. People are far from God. So different. And back then, the strategies worked. What were the strategies for evangelism back then? Well, you had Sunday school was really important. You had big revivals that was really important you would bus kids to to school or to, to, to church that, that's crazy no one is gonna let their kid today get on some stranger's bus okay like some vehicle and go I'm taking them to church I've never been like it's not gonna happen today it's just just not gonna happen but that's one of the things they did you know what they also did you used to do door-to-door visitations knock on a door how awkward is that when someone knocks on your door Everybody hide, right? You know, turn the lights off, turn the TV off. I don't want to come in, okay? It's just not going to happen today. The strategies back then will not work today because here's the deal today, the culture is not so ready, readily ready for the gospel. I'd, I'd say the, the culture today is about at a three, they're far from Christ. And the strategies we did back then, I really don't think those strategies are gonna work very well anymore. You see, we gotta see that evangelism is not just this event-based thing. It's not just that, it's, it's also a process. It's a process that people have to go to or go through. And I just wanna tell you this, there's no other future for the church. I mean, there is the old future, the old way of doing things, and that's, that's for a dying church, okay? That's for an irrelevant church. A church that has no standing in their community. But for a church that actually wants to reach people, the, reach the generation, the young generation now and their culture, they gotta be different. We've gotta be different. So how do we do that? Well, I don't have time to go into all of, all of the biblical ways to do that, but one of the great stories of the Bible is the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you see how the early church was trying to figure things out. They had no idea what they are doing, guys, and they were just going around trying to figure it out. But in Acts chapter two, You've got this this sermon that Peter preaches right after Pentecost, and so his church is brand new. There's like a couple hundred believers, okay? And Peter gets up, he's in Jerusalem, and he begins to share to all these Jewish people, okay? All these people that had Jewish background. And so he's like, you know what, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament, because they all know the Old Testament. I'm going to share. And he talks about the, the prophet Joel, and he talks about David, and he, he brings Jesus into the middle of that and, and describes what has happened. And he says, here's what you gotta do, guys got to do. You got to repent. And believe in Jesus as as your Messiah. The Bible says that 3,000 people were saved. And you're like, yes, that is awesome. That's what we need to do today. Man, it'd be awesome if 3,000 people got saved. So we should get up on stage and we should start start, needing to tell people they need to be saved and they're sinners and all that kind of stuff. Just like Peter did. But The reality is they understood the message. Because that was part of their culture. There's another story in the book of Acts, all the way in Acts chapter 17. It's a crazy story because Paul, who was a Jew, he found himself not around Jewish people. He found himself around this pagan culture in Athens. And so they have all of these, these different gods. I mean, it was just this plurality of gods. It was crazy. It was so crazy that Paul found himself not in a church saying, hey, everybody, come come here. Come hear us. We're going to have a revival. It's going to be a tent revival. Oh, come on in. It's going to be great, okay? He, he didn't say that. He actually went to where they were. And those people were actually, they hung around in this area that had all these shrines to these, these false gods. Which is kind of crazy today. I mean, if, if Paul was in our church, we'd probably be telling him, hey, you don't need to be there. Like, don't go where they are, you know. You know, don't go there because you're going to get, like, tainted or whatever, okay. And so don't go around those, those people. Paul's like, no, I'm going. So he goes. He's around them. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to speak their language. I'm going to learn their culture. I'm going to find some common ground. He says, you know what, that, that, that shrine to this unknown God that you have, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about this God that you don't know. Let me tell you about Jesus. And people were saved and people were changed. So here's what we gotta do. Here's a couple things. We gotta speak their language. This is something we have to do. There is no other future for us. We have to speak the language of our culture. And the language of our culture is I'm not talking about English or Spanish, whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about media. I'm talking about visual things. I'm talking about being online. That is the language of this generation. So maybe individually, and as a church, we need to do some things, like we need to maybe produce online content that is really engaging. That we need to shift our resources and some of the things we do so that we can actually produce that on a scale that reaches our community. Do you know where our community is? They're online right now. They're online. We have to be able to reach them by speaking their language. Here's another thing we have to do. We must be experts at communication. How many you guys uh, love rodeo and bull riding? Anybody ever seen a bull riding? Bull riding? Anybody ever been on a bull? Not a mechanical bull, okay, I'm like a real bull. Okay, some of y'all, okay. so how long does, uh, d- does a rider have to stay on a bull? Eight seconds, okay. For the writer, that's an eternity, okay? For the one who's in the audience, you're like, that wasn't that big of a deal, okay? So, but eight seconds, you have to stay on f- to do that. Well, they've done research and found out that the average attention span of our culture today, which is our young people, is eight seconds. That's it, it's eight seconds. And the reason is, is because, because there's so much information going out to them. They're just bombarded with information. They've had to create these filters in their life to be able to sort through the information that's important, that's not important. Otherwise, they'd just be overwhelmed. And so they've created this eight-second filter. And here's the deal. If the church produces nine seconds of boring, they check out. They check out. Which means we may even do some things differently than maybe other generations are used to. Like, you know, a lot of us, we love to get in our Sunday school classes, which, you know, we can talk more about that later. But we love to get in our Sunday school classes. We love the master teacher scenario. We all kind of sit in rows. We sit down, open up our Bibles, we get our coffee, and we listen to someone tell us for an hour about, about our faith and how to grow in our faith and all that kind of stuff. And I'm saying that's, that's great for, that, for our generations. But for that generation, that is way past nine seconds of boring. It just really is. It just is. And they don't want it. And they don't wanna do it. We have to figure out how to be better communicators. We need to figure out how to, to mobilize our church to actually have conversations, meaningful conversations, with the next generations. Because here's the deal. Even though they only give us eight seconds, if they do engage with us, if they engage in a conversation with someone, or a product or, um, or a, a belief or something like that, they're all in. If they will engage with that, they 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 are committed and they're focused. And so we have to be quick in our communications, we have to be effective in our communications. Well, how do you do that? Well, if 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 Paul was around today and it was like an Acts chapter 17 scenario. Okay, and it was like to be, Acts chapter 17, to be rewritten for today. He wouldn't be um, in, with, in, in Athens with all the, the, the shrines around in the, that area. He would actually probably be behind a computer screen, typing, talking to the next generation, having conversations. He'd be on his iPhone, on Instagram, Snapchat, talking to that generation, asking them things, listening to them. Conversing with them about their viewpoints and their perspectives. He'd be sending videos, he'd be sending messages. They wouldn't be long, they'd be short, okay, and sweet and, and, and impactful. Because that's the language of that culture. That's the language of the culture that we have to reach. So here's what we gotta do you gotta do that. We gotta figure out a way to do that. They want those interactions, so we need to give it to them. Here's another thing we can do or we must do, we must invest in relationships. Tell you what, for that generation, relationships are key, it's everything. You know what the number one way to get the next generation in the church is? Just ask them, just ask them. 50% say that they would go to church, unchristian generations ears. they would go to church if someone would just ask them, but no one does. That's easy, man, that's easy. So how do you ask them? Man, send them a text. Send them a direct message on social media because even though they have eight second filter, they're almost immediate in their response when it comes to technology, to reaching them that way. Or if you know them personally, you have a relationship with them personally, maybe it's a face-to-face conversation, you just ask them, hey, would you go to church with me? 50% say that they will, just gotta ask. Here's another thing we can do we have to to do we must grow young we've got to think about it this way if the church keeps doing what it's what it's always done here's what's going to happen with, with no change no innovation the church just naturally grows old just like any organism it naturally grows old it's just just something that's going to happen every church does that every church uh, leans towards growing growing older it's just just natural for it for that to happen just like a, you know, like a home, you know, you got, if you get home and you don't ever repaint, you don't ever change out the flooring ever, you, you never put a new roof on, you never do any kind of remodeling, what's going to happen? going to have gold-plated fixtures all over the place. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just, just what's going to happen. You know, you can, you can, it's going to be old. Like, it's just going to look dated. You're going to have, you know, shag carpet on, on, the, on the floor. That's just what's going to happen if you don't ever update your house. That's just, just naturally. It naturally grows old. And the church does the same thing. And if, if we're going to naturally grow old, we have to be really intentional to grow young. It's not just going to happen. So what do we got to do? I think we gotta intentionally invest our energy and our resources in reaching the next generation. And just to kind of insider baseball here, here's something I think we need to do as as a church from your pastor. There's gotta be a budget shift eventually. The way we spend our money has to change. From maybe doing the things that we've always done to actually doing things that will reach the next generation. That's coming later on in the year. Here's another thing we must do. We must disciple our mission. What do I mean by that? Well, most churches have, most churches are like a three three three-legged stool. You've got your Sunday morning um, worship time as one leg, another leg would be your small group time, your Sunday school time, and the third leg is discipleship. And yet, most of our discipleship models in the church, not just our church, but most churches, is that we disciple the already saved. You know? It's like the next level. The reality is we need to be discipling lost people, and we need to be discipling the next generation. I think one of the best things that we could do to reach the next generation is actually taking all the Gen Zers in this room right now and investing in them and discipling them and mentoring them so that they can actually reach their peers. They can share their faith in a meaningful way. Here's the question we have to really kind of ask ourselves when it comes to doing things differently or, you know, maybe it's things that you don't want to change. You don't want to, you don't want to give up some certain things. Here's a question I have for us. Do we really believe the gospel? Do we really believe the gospel? Do we really believe John ten ten that says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Jesus says this and no one comes to the father except for me. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that lost people will spend eternity in hell? Because if we do, and what are we doing, right? What are we doing? If we really truly believe that, what are the things that we're doing that are just wasting time? What are the things that we're doing that are just playing church? Because Jesus gave us some really specific marching orders really specific purpose and mission for the church. He says this, we're supposed to share our faith, we're supposed to disciple others, and we're supposed to serve those in need. That's what the church is supposed to do. But we have this view of the the church's mission as as keeping Christians um, happy, um, well-fed, and growing. It's kind of the model for most churches. It's like, hey, come and be a part of our group. We're gonna make sure that you're happy, that you're well-fed, and that you're growing. And we like it that way, don't we? Like, man, we just naturally, we, we love the church to be about us. I hear it all the time. Like, man, pastor, that service really spoke to me. Okay, it's kind of a good thing. I hear that. I love my Sunday school class. Man, we're just, just amazing. I love my Sunday school class. Or, or maybe some negative ways, like, man, that coffee tastes terrible. <laughs> okay, like, man, that coffee is just bad. Man, that, that potluck dinner was just awful. Or, man, some it's, I'm just so cold in here. I hear that a lot, right? It's just freezing in this room. Or I've heard this before, who moved my my decorations out of my Sunday school classroom? You know what, the American church has lost her mission because we've become focused on the people that are already here. It's not about making disciples, It's, it's about caring for the already convinced let me tell you something. This is the title of today's sermon. It's not about you. This church, the church, Christianity, it's not about you. It's not about me. You don't believe me? Here's Jesus' words. Here's what he says in Matthew chapter 9. This is the message version. Okay, so I'm going with it this morning. He says this, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Obviously, we know that answer to that. And he says this, I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. That's what Jesus said that he was called to do. And his bride should be the same way. What Jesus is saying is that the problem is not the people that are lost. He's saying the problem is us. So if you don't like the music, if you don't like the way the pastor dresses, if you don't like the the videos and the screens and the media we use, if you want church to go back to the way, the good old days and the way that it used to, let me say this again, it's not about you, it's about them, it's not about us, it's about them. And so this morning I think we need to ask ourselves this, do I have the courage to surrender? Do I have the courage to lay down my my preferences and my opinions for the sake of the lost? Will I do that? Guys, this is a tough message for me to preach because I love the way I do church, but I'm realizing and recognizing that that is not the future of the church. Is the gospel the same? Yes, the gospel never changes, but the way we do church has to change. It has to for the sake of the lost and for the glory of Christ. Will we be willing to change and put aside our preferences for the sake of those who aren't here yet? Here's what Mark chapter 10, verse 44 says. Jesus says this, whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. It's not about you. It's about other people. Jesus modeled it. We should be like him. You know, This generation, they confuse me. I don't understand them sometimes, you know? But I don't think as a church, we should see them as uh, as an obstacle, something to manage our way around. We shouldn't see them as an obstacle, we should see them as a gift. They're a gift to the church because they are the future of the church. Isaiah 43, 19, God says this, for I am about to do something new. He's always about that. He's always doing something new. And he says, see, I have already begun. Do you not see it? Things are changing. Will we have the courage to get on board? It's the future of this church and every church to be relevant in our culture. Let's pray. God. Sometimes our preferences are just that. They're just preferences. Sometimes our our worship style, the way we we like to um, gather together, the way we do church, the the way we do evangelism, the way we do discipleship, all those things, all those things, they're just preferences. God, your word gives us freedom to take the gospel and translate it into our culture. God, help us to do that. Help us to speak the language of our culture. Help us to know how to communicate to him. Help us to know how to to share the love of Jesus in a non-judgmental way. Help us to hold fast to the gospel and yet still reach the next generation. God, we need your help to be able to do that. Help us to be creative. We're made in your image, God, so we're creative by nature. Help us to be that way. Help us, God, to put aside our preferences for the sake of the gospel and for the love that Jesus has for the lost people and that we should have as well. Help us to not just play church anymore, but to be the church for this generation and for our communities. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.